in a world of stereotypes, being called a geek comes with a certain image. There is still that ingrained thing within me that is a little bit embarrassed about it. In reality, geek culture has never been more mainstream, and behind every geek is a real story. My dad was the one who got me into Star Wars and things. Join me, your super dummy Paul, as I continue my learning experience and talk to the real people. I'm a secondary school teacher, so I teach 11 to 16 year olds in English. Hear their stories exclusively on fantastic universes. It's one of them like, you've ever gonna grow up? And I'm like, no, why should I? I, I like my life, I, I enjoy what I do, this is my hobby. Available on all your favorite podcast catchers. Matthew B. Lloyd, and I will be your guide as we explore the world of comics before the advent of the Silver Age. Thanks for tuning in to the Comics in Motion Network. We've got a lot of great shows for you. Thanks for joining me. As always, I'm excited to share this episode with you. Before we get started, remember, you can follow the Classic Comics Show on Twitter at Comics Lloyd, or contact the show via email at ClassicComicsNBL at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Matthew B underscore Lloyd and at dccomicsnews.com where I'm assistant editor and write reviews. Thanks for joining me today with episode 20. It's unusual this episode but uh, it's inspired by an episode I recorded uh, over the summer with Superheroes for Dummies. We did the character Starman and while we covered a lot of ground for that uh, episode I did find myself having uh, feeling like I'd failed to mention a few things about the Golden Age version of the character. So I thought I'd do a show here on classic comics and try to fill in the gaps that I feel bad about missing. I'll go over a bit of the basics uh, of the character as well for a starting point, uh, like I would with any character. But, firstly, where have I been? I haven't had an episode out in a couple months. Uh, well, at the third week in August, I uh, I caught COVID. It put me down hard that that first uh, couple days, and uh, you know, even though I recovered okay over the quarantine period, the uh, the effects have been rather long long lasting, longer lasting than I certainly expected, and it's been it's been pretty rough. Uh, it's just thrown a wrench into everything uh, you know I've tried to do outside of uh, the basics of eating and going to work and uh, trying to get anything uh, on the side done uh, very uh, very surprising it's it's had a much bigger impact on my life than than I really thought it would but things are uh, continuing to improve and 
from what I understand, this this happens uh, with with COVID, and so it's nothing out of the ordinary. Everybody's affected a little bit differently, but this is certainly something I've spoken with other people who've had it about, and it is uh, not anything that hasn't happened to others. With that said, I uh, I can't promise you I'm going to be back every every other week. Right now, just uh just based on everything uh, in life that goes along with uh, with having a day job and a family and squeezing in fun things like this. But um, I'm glad to get uh, an episode going here since it's been about two months since I, I had an episode come out. Uh, so without any further ado, I think we can go ahead and dig into the Golden Age Starman. The Golden Age Starman was created by Jack Burnley, uh, and the first script was written by Gardner Fox. They didn't have an origin for the character until Roy Thomas provided one in the 80s. And if you listen to that Superheroes or Dummy episodes episode, you can hear uh, you can hear more about that there. But since that's not actually part of the Golden Age material. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna spend any time on it. Uh, the character first appeared in Adventure Comics number 61, cover dated April 1941. Starman and his regular identity is Ted Knight, Theodore Knight, layabout playboy with an interest in astronomy. He's uh, he's depicted as a character that is always sort of feeling ill and uh, doesn't uh, react well to excitement of any kind. It uh, it, it's a it's a trope we see in a number of different characters. One might think of, uh, you know, Clark Kent or, or or Bruce Wayne, even in his some of his early appearances. The way they seem just he seems so just disinterested and things are going on. He's just bored by everything and something exciting happens and it's too much and he has to leave the room. And that's what we get with with Ted Knight. You know, some of those uh, early uh, Superman stories though. There's a little bit more fire uh, in Superman and Clark Kent's belly, it seems at times, and he really has to fight to hold down his uh, his uh, anger and his uh, and his drive. You see it uh, handled a little bit differently, but but certainly uh, you know you can easily imagine how that plays out eventually in the you know the Christopher Reeve Superman films. But but we're talking about Starman, so Ted Knight. Uh, Layabout Playboy. Uh, he appeared in Adventure Comics through issue number 102, uh, which was covered in February 1946. He also appeared as a member of the Justice Society of America in All-Star Comics, starting with issue number 8, and appeared with the team through issue number 23, dated December 1944. Uh, in these Golden Age stories, Starman uses a weapon called the Gravity Rod, uh, with it, he can do a number of different things, and I, when I was reading all these old stories, I tried to compile a list of the different things that he was able to do with the gravity rod, and these are all things I saw directly in, uh, in the stories. Um, he overcomes the forces of gravity and launches bolts of energy, uh, and he uses button controls on the handle, uh, and some of these phrases are, are taken directly from the comics so that you get an idea of what what they were thinking, not not my interpretation of what he's doing with it, uh, what the writer was thinking as he describes how he's using it. Uh, 
The gravity rod harnesses the power of the radiated light of the stars. It enables him to fly, uh, maybe travel at the speed of light. And as I as I read that, I'm trying to remember why I wrote maybe. It it had something to do with uh, it was implied something about that I think, as opposed to it actually being depicted. But I think it was implied or suggested that it could do that. Uh, he can deflect bullets and redirect them. Uh, the gravity rod uses the cold light of the stars to cool things down. Uh, the magnetic rays come out of the rod and they are able to counteract gravity which is how he's able to fly and that sort of thing. Uh, he can use it like a flashlight uh, and he has to recharge the rod with starlight. The sun won't work. Now we're not going to get too much into uh, uh, science with that but clearly the sun is a star and there's absolutely no difference in a star and the sun so there's something about the light of the stars that the gravity rod works with as opposed to the light of the sun, even though we know from a scientific point of view that they are one and the same uh, things. The sun is a star. Golden Age supporting characters. There are two reappearing characters uh, in this series. There was the love interest Doris Lee. She is uh, uh, another well-to-do uh, individual and it's clear they're a you know they're a couple but she gets awfully frustrated with him as as he fakes illness and fakes being overcome uh, to exit in order to make his change into Starman. Um, however as the series goes on Doris appears to have figured out that Ted is Starman uh, but, but it never becomes a really major element. And after a while, she, she drops out of the series and is not really mentioned uh, much. Uh, but he never gains any other female uh, companion. But there is, for a little while there, an interesting dynamic where she's starting to figure out what's going on. And that, that was a little more interesting than the standard story of the time, I would say. The other uh, regular character is FBI Chief Woodley Allen, who turns out to be Doris's uncle. Uh, and he has a unique way of contacting Starman for help, and we'll see that when we look into the, uh, the first story, which we're gonna, gonna read here shortly. Allen uses uh, Starman to help him with uh, cases. Uh, sometimes uh, he calls him and sometimes uh, Starman is on the case already and they end up working the same case. There were two uh, main scripters that are associated with the strip, although uh, there are a couple others that also did work on it. We'll mention them just briefly. Uh, Don Cameron and Joe Simaxson uh, both uh, wrote for the strip. Uh, the Joe Smashin wrote the the last uh, the last number of strips, and we actually probably wrote more than uh, one of the other main scripters I want to talk about. But we're going to mention him uh, because uh, he is a uh, a famous writer in his own right of science fiction. So. First off, we have the prolific Gardner Fox, who had a hand in creating characters like The Flash, Hawkman, and Dr. Fate. And of course, along with Julia Schwartz, was responsible for the superhero revival in the early 60s, as well as creating uh, the concept of the multiple Earths for DC Comics with the story The Flash of Two Worlds, which appeared in 
The Flash, number 123 in 1961. So if you've read any comics, DC comics in the 60s, from the 40s through the 60s, you've probably read a, a Gardner Fox story somewhere along the way. Uh, the second uh, uh, writer associated with the character is noted science fiction author Alfred Bester. Uh, Bester is uh, best known for the 1956 novel The Star is My Destination and the fact that he won the inaugural Hugo Award in 1953 for his novel The Demolished Man. Uh, the Hugo Award is a science fiction uh, award. Uh, however, uh, early in his career he cut his teeth on comics and uh, to me, the fact that he worked on Starman and his uh, his most famous novel, The Star is My Destination, have that same theme of the star in it. I just find that interesting. It's not really ironic. It's just an interesting coincidence. Uh, Bester also wrote Superman and Green Lantern and other characters. Uh, he not only created Solomon Grundy, which uh, we read in that story in a in Wanted uh, episode, but he also created the most famous version of Green Lantern's Oath. In brightest day and blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's light. That was penned by Alfred Bester. Um, three different artists worked on the strip. Of course, the original artist and creator, Jack Burnley. Um, and then we have Mort Meskin, who had a few fill-ins uh, throughout the run. And you've already mentioned him before, and it's obvious I'm a Meskin fan, so we're going to look at one of his stories, obviously. Uh, Emil Gershwin, who took over after Burnley moved on to other uh, other jobs. He uh, Burnley was, interestingly, the first person to draw a Superman in the comics besides Joe Schuster. He started working at the Schuster shop early on, but uh, he got the opportunity to do something uh, of his own, which is... Uh, why he created uh, uh, Starman and Starman you know just never became popular enough to earn his own title but that was of course the uh, the hope initially he was the cover feature for uh, a number of issues on adventure comics and you know they hoped he would uh, he would become uh, popular enough to earn his own title but he never did and at that point Burnley Burnley left and he went back to, to ghosting on Superman and Batman. So you may have read a story by Burnley and not even known it. Uh, let's go ahead and, and get out the DC Archive editions and take a look at some of these stories. And uh, we'll also make sure we talk about the style and pros and cons of each artist as we, as we go through. Uh, the Starman archives, the Golden Age Starman archives, are broken up into the uh, two volumes. Uh, the first one handles his first appearance in Adventure Comics and ends with issue 76. And the next volume picks up there and goes all the way on through the final issue, or the final appearance. Uh, the final story in issue number 102. So we're going to turn right over here to the first Starman story. Uh, as I said before, we don't have a uh, an origin for the character in the Golden Age. He just sort of shows up, and, and you'll see that in this first story. So here we go. There's uh, 
there's no title for it. There's no title in the story itself, but the archive edition itself just says the amazing Starman. When sinister scientific forces seek to take over the nation by paralyzing power and communication facilities, they run afoul of a foe possessing powers more potent than their own, a figure of night and mystery, the amazing Starman. Featuring the gravity rod, an invention that overcomes the forces of gravity and launches energy bolts. From Maine to California and from Canada to the Mexican border, weird events of dire consequence transpire. The people of a great nation are on the verge of panic, for the very foundations of their lives are being blasted from under them. Telegraph wires glow white hot and melt into consuming flame. All the telephone communication ends as the nation's switchboards fail. The board is dead. No communication with any other city. Those sparks, red hot. So we've got a couple panels here showing the telegraph lines melting and uh, men looking on in surprise. And we've got a scene of a couple operators at a telephone company uh, uh, jumping back from uh, a sparking uh, switchboard. Uh, and for those of you who maybe have never seen the switchboard or know what telephones used to be like, you don't. It is just like they're working at a computer or something, but it's uh, definitely a, a something from its time. Uh, dynamos in our great power plants unaccountably flare up in searing sheets of loose electrical energy. Fire, fire, get out before it's too late. Transportation is paralyzed as all motors and engines burst into flames. So planes are going down. Uh, these power plants are struggling to uh, maintain power. As the mysterious, as the con ugh, as the continent quivers from mysterious events, distraught military officials confer with Woodley Allen, ace troubleshooter of the FBI. What's to be done? This is outrageous, Allen. It must be stopped. I assure you, I am doing everything possible. After the anger visitors depart, this is a nightmare. There's only one man who may be able to get to the bottom of this. I've got to contact him. Removing a metal capsule from his pocket, Allen unscrews the cap. And then he says, wherever he is, the ultra-shortwave emanations from this radioactive capsule will flash, flash him my call. So here's his uh, unique way of contacting Starman. He opens his capsule, the radio waves go out, and we switch scenes to the Flamingo Club in Gotham City. Uh, it's the, and the maitre d' is greeting Ted Knight and Doris. Right this way, Mr. Knight. I have a table reserved for you. I trust you've made sure it's not in a draft. So there he is already playing up the, uh, uh, the frail, the frail act. Really, I have to smile at you, Ted. A husky chap like you always sniffling and worrying about your drafts and your health. Why don't you act like the man you could be? You know me. I'm not a old man, Miss Lee. Miss Lee, we've known each other for years and you still call me Miss Lee. Don't be such a wishy-washy. After all, we're not formally engaged. So obviously they've been together for a while, uh, but there's nothing official. Then, for just an instant, an expression of excited interest fleets across the usually bored face of Theodore Knight. Uh, he stands up. I I'm not feeling well, Miss Lee. Would you mind if I were to take you home? What? Again? I don't know why I bother to go out with you at all. Don't bother taking me home. I'd hate to have you drop dead in my company. Oh, I wouldn't want to do that. Maybe I'd better go to a sanitarium for a while. I need a rest. But as they're about to leave, the lights of the club and street suddenly go out. Confusion reigns as panicky people grope about in darkness. Ted, Ted, where are you? 
Oh, he's probably hiding, afraid of the dark, Doris exclaims. But Ted Knight is not hiding or bound for a sanitarium. Deep in the shadows, he withdraws a luminous metal cylinder from a hidden holster. The gravity rod is vibrating. That means a desperately urgent call from Chief Allen. The gravity rod, a miracle of science which utilizes the powerful infrared rays from the distant stars. Then Ted Knight divests himself of his outer clothes and assumes his Knight personality as Starman. Now for some action. Now, Starman, the Golden Age version, uh, is in a, essentially a red leotard with green trunks and green Superman-style boots uh, with a yellow belt. Uh, his uh, his uh, his leotard comes over his head to form a, a partial cowl, uh, but it doesn't cover his face. It just comes right to above his eyes, and his face is uh, clearly visible. And he's got a fin on the top of his uh, his his cowl. And in his chest, he has a uh, a yellow star right in the center in a white circle. That white circle will go away uh, after a little while, and he uh, he doesn't have the white star anymore. It's just a simple uh, simple yellow or the white circle. He has a simple yellow star, and actually on the cover of that issue, he only has the the yellow star. There's no there's no white circle around it. The mystery man of night lifts the magnetic, lifts the magnetic tube aloft, and its strange mechanism is quickly charged with stellar energy. For thousands of years, men have spoken of the mysterious powers of the stars, but I am the first to discover that radiated starlight can be harnessed and used scientifically. Pressing a control button, Starman zooms up into the sky as the gravity rod releases him from the Earth's pull. The rod will draw me to the secret meeting place where Alan awaits. Far away in a shack atop a craggy cliff, Alan waits tensely. And there is a bizarre little small shack on a cliff on the side of a mountain that Alan is in. It's a different kind of hideout. If the capsule made contact, he should be here soon, he says. Sooner than you think, Starman says as he, uh, as he enters. Hastily, Alan explains his urgent call. In short... America's communication and light facilities are paralyzed, and this ghastly situation has been caused by a sinister outfit called the Secret Brotherhood of the Electron. They're about to strike, seize power, and set up a dictatorship. This is serious, not a moment to lose. Leaving Alan, Starman points the gravity rod aloft and soars into the sky, propelled by the power of the stars. This gang must have an unknown device enabling them to nullify ordinary electricity. Holding the rod horizontally, the stellar traveler halts standing motionless in space. An electrical discharge coming from the mountain below. That's strange. So he stumbles on a mountain, uh, a mountain retreat where they've uh, these uh, this brotherhood of the electron is hiding. He catches somebody. It's uh, he goes in. He uses the. Uh, the gravity rod uh, releases bolts of stellar energy, melting the steel barrier as if it were made of wax. There's a steel door, um, I guess, going into part of the, the mountain here. Uh, and as he does, he stumbles across one of the one of the hoodlums, and then he uses the magnetic currents of the gravity rod to draw the frightened thug uh, back toward him. And he gets in the talk. 
Our chief is an old guy known only as Dr. Doog. You better not meddle with him because he has a machine that makes him the most powerful man in the world. Six months ago, he kidnapped Professor Davis and stole his new invention. It's an ultra-dynamo that gives its owner control of the world's supply of electricity. He can blast you to bits with it. The guard pushes a button and a hidden door slides open. Tricky place, isn't it? Yeah, he's at the end of this tunnel. The warning of the intruders approaches flash to the secret lair of Dr. Doog. The electric eye, someone is coming. Nelson would have turned it off if he was coming alone. Meanwhile, Starman and the guard make their way through a steel tunnel. I'm anxious to meet this Dr. Doog. I'm warning you, you're headed for trouble. Then a terrific bolt of electricity spurts from above. Ah! That deadly bolt was aimed at me, but my gravity rod deflected it in time. The guard received the full force of it. Poor chap. With a grinding of machinery, a section of the steel tube suddenly sinks downward, and he throws Starman into a new room that's made of all metal. A captive? Why, it's Professor Davis. Who are you? Another Dr. Duke's prisoners? People call me Starman. I've come to rescue you and put a stop to this Dr. Duke nuisance. You should never have come here. No one has ever escaped from Dr. Duke's magic cavern. The man is an evil genius. With my Ultra Dynamo in his control, he will conquer the world. At that moment, a panel slides silently back, and a sinister figure appears with burning, hypnotic eyes. Rash, stranger, now that you have discovered my secret domain, you'll be a guest. Ha ha ha, a permanent guest. Dr. Doog! A battle of wills commences as Dr. Doom a Doog attempts to bring Starman under his powerful hypnotic control. The evil doctor's eyes gleam. A strange drowsiness comes over Starman. You are helpless. You are pinioned by a thought wall. With a tremendous effort, Starman breaks the spell, but as he starts toward Dr. Doog, a trapdoor opens under him. Resist, will you? Whipping out the gravity rod, he walks over the yawning pit as if it were solid ground. Doog sets his, some of his thugs on him, and the Starman dispatches them pretty quickly. Uh, meanwhile, the next room, Dr. Doog gets ready to play his trump card. The Ultra Dynamo will destroy him. No living thing can survive its superpower. As Starman enters, Dr. Doog pulls the switch of the Ultra Dynamo. There's a terrific crash as tremendous voltage clashes with the stellar force of the gravity rod. Not even your super electricity can overcome the power of the stars. The Ultra Dynamo is left at a smoking ruin as the gravity rod triumphs. In, in terror, Dr. Doog tries to escape. You've played your last card, Dr. Doog, and you've lost. You'll never capture me. The doctor dashes wildly down shadowy corridors in his panicky flight and falls into one of his own concealed death traps. He was so tricky he fooled even himself. Ah! And he's falling. Returning to Professor Davis, Starman leads him out of the dread cavern in the mountainside. How did you find your way out of that maze of tunnels? The gravity rod is a perfect guide, better than a compass. I know he fell to his death, yet I thought I heard Dr. Duke's evil laugh as we left. Merely your imagination, but I'll seal up the mountain entrance to make doubly sure we are rid of that fiend. Having put an end to the mostly serious menace in the most serious menace in national history, Starman returns to his personality as the bored playboy Ted Knight. I didn't go to a sanitarium, I just went home and slept. What was all that nonsense about the lights failing? It wouldn't matter to you, my brave boy, unless you sleep with your lights on. So Doris doesn't seem that upset anymore. She seems to have a a heart about the whole thing. Now, this is the first story, and this is uh, the one we've looked at that's drawn by Jack Burnley. And you, of course, can't can't see these images, but I'm gonna just describe Jack Burnley's style here. Jack Burnley is a phenomenal draftsman. Uh, he is 
such a good, uh, so good at anatomy and making his characters look real. Uh, in the old comics in the 40s, he was the one that would do some of those sports pages where you'd have like a, uh, uh, you know, this baseball player or boxer or whatever, and he would be the one to draw those, and he would draw them to look exactly like the real people, and uh, a very uh, photorealistic style, uh, and just, just, just really beautiful lines uh, when he's doing his own thing and not uh, copying someone else, uh, trying to look like them. Uh, however, his his images are more are more posed in his panels. There's not a, there's not, it's not really a very action-oriented approach. I mean, they're beautiful poses. It's, it's great for covers. Um, absolutely spectacular for covers. He did a number of covers uh, in the Golden Age for, for numerous titles. So, when you see something drawn really well in the Golden Age, it's, uh, it's a good chance it's Jack Burnley when it's a cover of a DC comic. And, uh, especially the Starman covers we see. Uh, something else uh, Burnley does is he seems to reuse some of his poses. Uh, it is not uncommon to be reading a story, uh, see a familiar image of Starman, and be able to go back and find, uh, find it in a previous story or even on a cover from a different issue. I found that to be uh, kind of interesting, that he would, he would do that. So he was, he was really into posing his figures and... and more of an illustrator as opposed to a uh, a storyteller, I guess is the best the best way to put it. But uh, but nonetheless, there it's it's really uh, it's really enjoyable to watch to watch. It's really enjoyable to read and look at. Let's uh, let's turn to uh, another story here, and I'm gonna get out the second one for the second volume for this one. We're gonna look at the first Mort Meskin story. Now. Meskin, you've heard me talk about uh, in episodes before. I, I'm really a big fan of Meskin's work. He's a uh, he's a he's a great storyteller. Let's uh, let's look at this story first, and then we'll sort of talk about his style and that sort of thing. Uh, interestingly, it is uh, uh, he, he is sometimes Mort Morton Jr. as opposed to Mort Meskin in the uh, in the credits that are on the pages. And this is actually inked by George Russo's. It's a name some of you comic fans might be familiar with. He ended up working uh, many, many, many years in comics. And I said that Meskin didn't draw a lot of uh, Starman stories, but he's a significant artist, so I definitely wanted to cover him. Let's see if I can figure out exactly how many he drew. We got one there, two, two stories, three stories... Four stories. I think that's it. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of crazy when you think about it. Meskin only drew four stories, uh, uh, four Starman stories, but uh, he's that kind of artist to me, at least. That they are stories you you want to look at and and read because they are are wonderfully done. And we're gonna. Uh, we're going to quickly, or not so quickly, go ahead and look at his first one. Uh, and this is called Starman's Lucky Star. This title is actually in the, uh, on the splash page itself. And it was written by Gardner Fox. And, let's see, issue 81. This is issue 81 
so Burnley's last story of Starman was issue 80. So he did what, 29? Is that right? No, he only did 19 stories? Eight, 19 stories? 18 stories? Something like that. 18, 19 stories. Let's get to it, though. Mort Meskin, Starman. There's nothing new under the sun except some new wrinkles in crook chasing, as demonstrated by the Dark Knight, Starman. Dark Knight, calling Starman the Dark Knight well before Batman. Here's the story of two crooks who brought their bullets and brawn, who thought their bullets and brawn could win them a place in the sun. But they reckoned without a youth who had stars in his eyes, and his mentor, the courageous Starman, in this tale, Starman's Lucky Star. This is a good time to mention that a lot of stories, Starman stories, obviously revolved around astronomy and also some astrology too, um, and that's what one of these, uh, that's what this story is going to focus on. Let's talk about the splash page here real quick. This splash page is very interesting because, unlike uh, the uh, Burnley stuff, the splash it's a it's a whole page splash and it's. Uh, a very dynamic image. Starman is taking off, flying, with uh, a young boy uh, sitting on his shoulders, and Starman's not even facing us. We're getting him from a, a rear three-quarter view. You can't even see the the front of his face, but he's uh, he's in action. He's moving. You can see the movement. It's uh, it's really nice. It's a really nice uh, shot. It's very different stylistically from Burnley. At the famous New York Observatory, Professor Leland Brown peers intently through the Great Telescope. A new star, I'm sure of it. It isn't new. It was hidden by a distant nebulous. That's all. Eh, what's that? Who are you? What do you know about it? It's this little kid has walked in uh, to the uh, observatory. I'm Ray Talbot. I know a lot about stars. Look in your astronomy book. You're right. I'd forgotten all about it. It must be exciting to be an astronomer and study the stars. Ray, don't annoy the professor. Uh, a lady walks in. I presume it's his mom. I don't. I don't recall. <laughs> he isn't. I assure you. How did he learn? How did he learn so much about the stars? He's always listening to lectures over the radio. When we send him to the city, he goes to the planetarium and listens. Boy, I'm gonna have to put you on the information quiz program. I'll do all in my power to help you become an astronomer. Gee, professor, you're a brick. How's that for a compliment? You're a brick. Elsewhere in mighty Gotham, the master will see you now. Swell, show us in. A couple of uh, untrustworthy guys are being called into a uh, a room. I don't believe in this stargazing baloney. I'll tell you, the stars control their destinies. So it's going to be about astrology. I'll get my horoscope read, read, see? Then we can be sure we're on the right track. Well, maybe. And the... Uh, the, the the astrologer sitting at the table in a in a robe with planets and stars on it and his head wrapped in a turban with a big a big star and it says I read I read the stars they rule your future they're favorable yes what sort of job or, uh, I mean what sort of business should I go into your stars are in conjunction that shows that the time is right for making new acquaintances aha uh -huh, a kidnapping eh you see how the s easy it is. If them stars favor you, you're all set. There may be something to that. The next day, Ted Knight, next night, Ted Knight and Doris Lee attend the broadcast of the information quiz program. But I don't understand your interest in this boy genius. 
He knows everything about the stars, and I er, am interested in myself. She doesn't know I'm Starman, so what's more natural than an interest in this young astronomer? Besides, I'm an astronomer myself. As questions fly thick and fast, young Ray Talbot lives up to his reputation. The union of stellar distance is a light year. Generally, the time it light takes to travel 63,000 times the distance of the Earth to the Sun. Correct. We have a little surprise for you, Ray. Two of them, in fact. First of all, you're to be adopted by a wealthy family. They will send you to college. That's wonderful, Professor. Okay, so he was an orphan. Then, this telescope, it's yours. You can now make your own observations of the stars. Suddenly, strangely, the youth sobs. A, a telescope, I, and I can't use it. Hmm. There, there, Ray. Don't take it so hard. We know how glad you are. I'm not glad. I'm sorry. You see, I'm blind. <gasps> Why, well, I never guessed. Two weeks later, as Ray Talbot concludes his lessons. That's all for today, Ray. Thanks for reading to me, sir. Outside the window, Starman. Do you like it here in your new home? Oh, yes. Mr. Cord treats you well. I'm learning more and more, but who are you? I am the star man. That's why I'm so curious about you. Let me see your gravity rod, please. I won't tell anyone, but I know a way to prevent your rod from working. You do? It doesn't work when the sun shines, does it? There are ultraviolet rays in sunlight, that's why. Whew. You're a bright lad. You sure know your stars. A week later, as Ray and young Rufus Cord play on the lawn, one of them's that wealthy cord kid. That's the one I'm going to kidnap, says a voice from behind a wall. Oh, come on, guys, surround him. What's the matter? Somebody answer me. The the blind child can't see. You're Rufus Cord, ain't you, the wealthy kid? I, I, why do you ask? Because you and me are going to take a trip, and if your old man wants you back, he'll have to play plenty of dough. So that's it. Realizing that he is a victim of mistaken identity, Ray keeps silent to protect his friend. I mustn't let them know. Meanwhile, young Rufus faces breathlessly for aid. Daddy, Daddy, some strange men have kidnapped Ray. We've got to do something. What? He sacrificed himself for you? He couldn't have told them, but didn't. Can't we help him somehow? Elsewhere, Ted Knight consults with the astronomer professor. That scholarship given to Ray will be mighty helpful if only he could see to enjoy all the benefits. I thought perhaps an operation. Oh, oh, my heart. Ted's fallen out now. Got to get away somehow. Woodley Allen's just sounded his call for help. He's had a heart attack. I'll send him home in my car. Yeah, send him home in the car after a heart attack, Doris. That's a good idea. Don't call an ambulance or anything. Maybe she knows. In the security of the huge limousine, the, scare, the scarlet scourge of the underworld emerges. wonder what's on Allen's mind this time. It is as though they'd taken Cord's boy. Cord could pay. But when those rats discover how Ray tricked them, they might hurt him. I go after them, and them too. Later, a grim form rockets across the star-laden sky. If I only knew which gang had kidnapped him. Meanwhile, Ray Talbot finds himself in a large house. Using his sensitive fingers for eyes, he soon makes himself familiar with his room. Can I leave my fingers? Is it really a sun lamp? The ultraviolet rays on this lamp will carry a good distance. If they reach Starman's gravity rod, they'll shut off its power. And, not surprisingly, abruptly, without warning, Starman's flight ends. He plummets earthward, helpless. Something's happening to my gravity rod. Oh, the power's been turned on again. Now it's off again. Looks like a game of on-off on off again. Let's see, what's he say? Looks like a game of 
off again, on again, Finnegan. Uh, whatever that is. This is more. This is more than an accident. This is a message in Morse code. And now I have the information I wanted. Thanks to Ray himself. Now to get there. Ray, is that you? Starman's come through a window. Starman, you came. You understood my code. Here I am, Ray. I thought I saw a light shining from that window. As one of the thugs comes in the room. Starman, here's where you go stargazing forever. As the Starman wheels to meet this new threat, his foot tangles in the heavy drapes. And the crimson crime crusher falls heavily. The thunderous roar of a gun crashes near him. Here's for you, wise guy. No, no, stop. You can't shoot. Oh, if you wouldn't get into this, you wouldn't get hurt. So the boy jumps in front of the the, the gun that the thug is trying to shoot Starman with. You low down rat. Shoot a kid, a blind kid at that. A blind kid. You heard me. Now you're going to feel me. No, no. Hey, what's going on, Muggsy? What hit you? A house, a hurricane, a brick wall. Express elevator going down? Out of my way. Help. Fall weather today, isn't it? And Starman has jumped on somebody and wrapped his legs around his neck. Yow! Right down the stairs they go. Upstairs, a slender form stirs, a head lifts, eyes open wide. What funny things. Things. Why, that means... That means I can see. This is a lamp. I can tell by the way it feels. The bullet that hit me must have released the pressure on my optic nerves. You, you don't know what this means to me. Now I can see everything just like everyone else. Weeks later with his scholarship, Ray Talbot is just about the happiest person on earth. And Hunch Haggard is about the saddest. This is the guy that's in jail for the, uh, the kidnapping. And to think I believe what that astrologer told me. New cellmate for you, Hunch. Oh boy, have I been waiting to see him. It's the astrologer. That's all, folks. If you want your fortunes told, you have to see the astrologer in the state penitentiary on Visitor's Day. And if you want to follow the star-studded trail of Starman, just get next month's copy of Adventure Comics. Now, something we've probably, uh, you've probably noticed in these first two stories is that Starman does a lot of fighting with his fists and traditional uh, hand-to-hand combat. He's not a... He's not using that gravity rod for, for everything. He he wails on these uh these thugs pretty well in this issue. In this issue, in this particular story. But uh it's different. It's 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 not like you would expect. It seems uh I believe I recall reading in one of the uh, forwards in these archives that uh, they they were lamenting that they they just weren't the scripts just weren't using the uh the concept to its fullest. Here's a guy called Starman, and he basically fights with his fists more than anything else instead of using a lot of uh, uh, the gravity rod to do some more amazing and interesting things. We'll, we'll get some of that as the strip goes along, but uh, there's a lot more he could have done with that. Um, but, but just to talk about the art a little bit more, uh, I know I've said it before in a previous episode that uh, Meskin's Meskin's storytelling is 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 better than Burnley's, and he has a very uh, Jack Kirby-ish quality to his his art. There are some panels and uh, figures that you might even think was uh, Golden Age Kirby or Simon and Kirby. But it's not like he's aping it. It's it's enough that you can tell it's it, it's it's different enough you can tell it's not Jack Jack Kirby. But it still has a, a that same dynamic quality that is uh, 
associated with Kirby and a much more varied panel uh, panel layouts, different different approaches to uh, to the settings. You know what's in the foreground, what's in the background, that kind of thing. The uh, the point of view. It's 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 good stuff. It really is. I, I highly recommend. Uh, it, Meskin has a really good use of uh, his his where he places his his blacks. How much uh, when people say that in comics, you know, placement of the blacks we're talking about um, shading and shadows, and there's a lot of uh, uh, dynamic quality from what's color colored in with colors and what's uh, what's a black setting off uh, in the background or or whatever take take a look I mean there's a couple shadowy scenes here in uh in the uh, in the opening scenes with the fortune teller that there's this one panel it's like it's like just like how you know Caravaggio uses light uh, it's it's that it's that effective in what he's doing and how he's using it so Meskin is definitely one of those under, I don't know, maybe he's not really underrated, but he's certainly not as well known as, as he should be. Um, you know, people know Bob Kane's name because he created Batman, but Meskin is a fantastic uh, comic book artist that certainly deserves more attention than, uh, than a lot of people that, that probably get more, get more words. Uh, so that, that that that's a fun story to read. I I really, you can tell I really enjoy Meskin a lot. <laughs> okay, let's turn to another story here, and this is going to be the first story by Emil Gershwin, who would take over the strip and draw almost uh, every every story, starting with issue number. 83 is it? Yeah, 83. I think he only misses uh, two more from Mort Meskin. Yeah, Meskin draws uh, the story in issue 90 and 91, uh, but everything else is by Gershwin the rest of the way. So let's go ahead and turn to that story and, and give that a read. So remembering the old wishing refrain, star light, star bright, I wish I may, I wish I might, I have the wish, I wish tonight. Well, when that little couplet brings out Starman and plunges him into the middle of a drama as tense and exciting as those stars have peered down on through the centuries, you couldn't ask for any more, even though you would, even though you should. Wish upon a star. That's the story of this, uh, title of this story. So we've got star, we got three kids in an orphanage. Uh, I'm sorry, not an orphanage, my fault. At Perry Preparatory School one day. Guess I'll have to leave school after all. Don't say that, Freckles. I bet your brother didn't rob that bank. I just bet he didn't. So you've got three uh, three boys on the splash page. All Looks like they're preparing a wish in their minds, and they're all wishing upon an image of Starman's face that is superimposed over one of the stars that are in the, uh, in, in the distance outside the window. It's a pretty inventive uh, uh, idea. Uh, it's a neat splash page. All right, back to the back to the story. These kids, what they're saying. Of course not. But the fellows will all be calling me a jailbird's brother. I couldn't stand that. Gosh, don't talk like that. Whitey, freckles, visitors, get up for inspection. Oh, what do I care? We all got troubles, haven't we? My brother studied to be a doctor, and now he's all washed up. Lost his nerve. And my dad is dying. Think of that. 
Yeah, yeah, I know. Their shrill voices carry on into the hall where Ted Knight, loyal alumnus of Perry Prep, is celebrating homecoming week. We've all got troubles, boy. So, troubles, hey? Uh, you two go on ahead. Doesn't he feel well, Miss Lee? He's always getting sick spells. Lori got you down, fellas? Ted's gone into the room to see what the boys are talking about. There's one sure way to cure that. Nothing can cure my worries. Nor mine, either. Tonight at midnight, you make a wish on a star and see what happens. It can't fail. Ted, come on. We're late as it is. Right with you, Doris. Keep it in mind, fellas. It'll work, I promise you. The boys are getting in bed, not me. I hope you guys don't swallow that stuff. What could wishing on a star do? That's the bunk. Three young brains churn furiously as the minutes tick away. Muffled breathing and the impatient tossing of lean young bodies fills the room as the big clock on the campus tolls the hours, and then midnight. Not that I believe in that silly stuff, but I can't overlook any bets. Oh, er, hello, fellas. <laughs> this is crazy. Now they've all gotten up and snuck over to the window and looked out. Yeah, it is, but here we are. Let's start wishing. Suddenly, out of the star-studded night, swoops a scarlet-clad figure. That's the spirit, youngster. Maybe I can help you. Yeah, it's Starman. I wish my brother could be proved innocent of robbing the bank where he worked. They have met in Jolie Prison. That's your wish now. What's yours, Whitey? My dad's plenty sick. If he could be cured, golly. My wish is that he did get cured. My brother was a swell surgeon, but a man died after he operated on him, and he lost his nerve. He's all washed up. I wish he, he'd get his stuff back. Whew. You boys do have trouble, don't you? But I'll see what I can do. Wish I might have wished the wish I tonight. And with the astral man rides the hopes of his three well-wishers. At Jolie Prison in a gloomy cell sits Charlie French, head-bound, heart-heavy with sorrow. What's the use? I'm sunk. I'm inframed. Inframed good. That's a fun way to feel when you've got a kid brother worth his waiting gold waiting for you. Starman's outside the winter window. <coughs> Starman, you know Freckles? And it's neat. He's just sort of hanging outside the window, way up on a on a on a high uh, on a high floor of a, a, a downtown style prison. He wants to clear you. He made a wish tonight, and I'm going to help him. Help him get it if you do your part. It was that rat, Ruly Royce. Ruly runs roulette at his club casino. I, I began gambling there and losing. Then Ruly robbed my bank and framed me, but I had nothing to do with it. He planted some of the stolen money in my room. He had witnesses that testified that I was gambling. I was licked right away, even though I proved I was gambling with my own money. I'll see Ruly right away. Let us go back two hours to a private apartment at the club casino, where Ruly Royce struts up in front of a mirror, thin, crew lips smiling in vain admiration. All set for that silk job, Ruly. Say, that's a nifty suit you're wearing. Ruly's the best dressed crook in the big dough. And the best looking, too. Don't forget that, as Ruly himself. Later at the Sawyer Silk Warehouse. Quick, load the vans while I make sure no one else is around to spot us. Upstairs, Ruly slams into a room where a research expert works late. Who are you? Oh, you're the one guy who won't set off an alarm. And a last desperate, and he shoots him. In a last desperate attempt, the dying man flings a vial of acid and scores a perfect hit. Take that. Ah, help, I'm burning up. Help, throw that water on me quick. Sure, boss, sure. My face is ruined. Look at me. Tell me, am I ugly? You, you, oh, really, you'll get over it. You guys get the name of some, some doc, somebody this good. Get me? 
a surgeon who can do a skin grafting job and maybe look even better. Here's a doc named Fred Martin. A year ago, he was chief surgeon at Memorial Hospital. We'll go with you. I'd rather be dead than ugly like this. A quick departure, then one hour later, as cards fall softly on tables, a grim scarlet form swoops through the window. I guess I win, fellas. This, huh? Starman. Wanna if I sit in on your little game? Like a raging tiger, the scarlet scourge swings into action. Because I have a pretty good hand myself. Where's Ruli? That's our business. I'm here to see Ruli, and the quicker I see him, the sooner you old punks will be alone. He ain't gone. He ain't here. He's gone to see Doc Martin. Martin? That could be Red's younger brother. That could be younger Red's brother. Martin? That could be young Red's brother. It not only could be, but it is. And as he sits brooding, fighting against himself, the hardest of all battles. I've been practicing for a year on animals. I can cure them, but can I cure a man? Hello, Doc. You friend Martin? I want you to operate on my face. Fix me up. What? Okay, I'll operate. What can I lose? He's a crook. But if I can cure him, that means I've recovered my nerve. Well, he made me do it. Silence fills the room, punctuated only by the sharp snip-sip of scissors, the deft slice of a scalpel, the flash of a hatch-door needle. There, I'm almost done. And later, as Dr. Martin tastes the sharp throat success, I've done it! Recovered! My touch! I can perform any operation now. Starman appears... Out of the dark? Congratulations. Hmm. I see your patient is gone. Good. Then you can save Whitey Walsh's father. I can get Ruli any time. But we must save Walsh now. That's now that we've got the chance. Yes, I was afraid to test myself. When Ruli made me, I discovered I'm as good as ever. So. I understand that several doctors are puzzled by his condition. I'm banking on you, doctor. Let me make... Whitey's wish come true. I'll do it if I can. Martin, are you sure the same old Martin needs to perform miracles? If you are, you might save Walsh's life. Just leave me to him, Doctor. Starman's taking him to the hospital, I guess. Walsh is in safe hands, I think. I'll make sure Ruli is, too. Meanwhile, Ruli is himself again. Ruli, you're looking better than before. Ha <laughs> ha. I think I am, Peanuts. I think I am. Starman steps in and takes care of the gangsters. And then he's got a uh, He's got Ruli on the floor, and he's about to pummel him one last time. Don't don't hit me. You'll spoil the operation. Suits me. What I want from you is a confession, anyhow. Confession? About what? About the job for which Charlie French is taking the rap. Ha! <laughs> you can't make me, and you have no proof that I did that job. You're beaten, Starman. That's what you think. See how my gravity rod raised that chair? It could also raise that new face of yours. No, no, not that. I could stand anything but beating an ug being ugly again. There, now have your confession. Shall we pay Charlie French's warden a visit now? And so it is early the next morning at the warden's office. You wanted to see me, warden? I'm seeing you, French. Starman brought in the man that framed you. And at the hospital, he'll pull through inside a week. He'll be a new man. Thanks, doctor. You've helped me out of a jam. I thank you. While Ruli made me operate on him, you gave me the opportunity to do this on my own choice. It was Red that did that. Those boys must be wondering how I'm making out. Hey, it's Starman back again. How's my dad? Everything's fine. Next Sunday you'll find out for yourselves. And on Sunday... Pop, Pop, you look swell. And I'm going to get even better, thanks to Doc Martin. Golly, Fred, that was wonderful what you did for Whitey's dad. I feel sort of good about it myself. 
It was just like I told you guys. My brother was framed. That's right. I read about in the paper. Three cheers for Charlie French. What are you grinning about? You think you did something to help them out. This is Doris talking to Ted. I told him to wish upon a star, didn't I? And all their wishes came true. The end. All right, Emil Gershwin. I'll be honest, Emil Gershwin is not a name I am familiar with. Uh, I uh, really haven't read anything that he's drawn before. I started reading these uh, second volume of the Starman archives. And it's interesting, he falls somewhere in between Burnley and uh, and Meskin. He's got a, uh, a really great eye for illustrating and, and, and posing figures. And like I said, with that, uh, with that splash page and uh, in an illustrative style, it's not, uh, it's not a dynamic main scene, but he's got these little vignettes in there that are quite dynamic. Um, and you'll see a lot of dynamic uh, uh, images in in the stories as you go along, not just this one story. Because I've, I've read them all, I can add a little bit more in. But his but his his draftsmanship is darn good too. And actually, he's got kind of an Alex Raymond look to him, which isn't all that surprising, as influential as Alex Raymond was to Golden Age comic book artists and uh, comic strip artists as well. But Alex Raymond really is showing up in here. There's a little bit of uh, Burnley even in the uh, uh, some of the faces are drawn or they look like they're actual faces like you would know uh, like he's doing a portrait of somebody. There's enough detail to, to where you get that. It's not just a generic person's face. Uh, quite good. Quite good. I was really impressed with, with Gershwin. I was a uh, pleasantly surprised that I, I was going into it I was disappointed well that Burnley stopped uh, drawing so soon and then I was disappointed that Meskin only had four stories I was really hoping for uh, more Meskin but I was pleasantly surprised with Gershwin's work I mean I'm not saying he looks like he's Alex Raymond like he's Alex Raymond is suddenly drawing Starman but there's a lot of Raymond here and it looks good uh, it looks really good so Starman seems to have been blessed with three really nice artists, all uh, with their own sort of style. Um, recognizable, there's no one, you know, neither Meskin nor Gershwin are trying to copy Burnley's style, the creator of the strip, um, which is sort of ironic. That's what Burnley went on to do later on, was uh, copy the style of other artists. Uh, when he was doing Superman and Batman and those kind of things. But uh, one thing about Gershwin that I can say that is uh, echoed in the uh, forward and I think in this book is that by the end of the strip, the last few, maybe five or six stories he does, he just isn't the same. Uh, it looks like he's just kind of rushing through it and not... Uh, not taking his time with it. There doesn't seem to be as much care given. I mean, you'll get a, a panel here or there that's like, wow, but but for the most part, uh, there's a lot less detail uh, and things just don't, doesn't seem like the same guy. I mean, you can tell it's the same guy, but he's clearly not spending as much time on it. 
and uh, it was it was it's noticeable. I mean, it's pointed out in the in the foreword, but it is it is quite noticeable. But you know, nonetheless, it's uh, it's it's overall his stuff is is really great. The last story, the last couple stories are particularly look particularly rushed. Like he was just trying to get it done. But that's not to be surprised. But they probably knew it was the last couple uh, Starman stories that they were going to do. Okay, well that is Emil Gershwin's Starman. Um, so, as I said, that's I got to read everything from uh, Adventure Comics 61 through 102. I do not have the All-Star Comics archives. Uh, which have all of his appearances with the Justice Society of America. I do have a few volumes, and he's got uh, a few stories in there, obviously. Uh, but the Justice Society will have to be a, a separate episode at some point where I can uh, cover a little bit more of that. I, I don't have the I don't have enough to to tell you all about those Starman stories. Uh, but Thank you for joining me today. I've really enjoyed revisiting Starman again. He is uh, a, a neat character. Uh, you know, certainly what comes in the modern age of comics with James Robinson and uh, is is phenomenal. Uh, even even today on the uh, the CW has the Stargirl Stargirl uh, TV series, and it's not called Starman, but Starman's presence is a big thing uh in that in that show even if uh the starman in that show isn't really the starman we're used to or uh, any of the main starman characters we've ever had it's the star spangled kid all grown up sylvester pemberton which is what happens in the comics but in the comics he's known as skyman and the uh, the costume they used for the show is almost an identical uh uh representation of the skyman costume sylvester wore in the uh in the late 80s with uh, Infinity Incorporated. Um, but his presence is still felt today in that show. Uh, they even mentioned Ted Knight as the creator of the, uh, the Gravity Rod in episode. So uh, I obviously recommend the, uh, the James Robinson series for uh, a more comprehensive look at all the Starman characters there have been and how they all fit together. It's truly a brilliant work. And uh, the Superheroes to Dummies episode, uh, we deal a lot with that. So I really do hope you'll go back and listen to that if you haven't already. Or maybe you'll you'll do it again after, after this episode just as a refresher and see how some of the pieces fit together. But uh, thanks. Thank you for joining me today. And uh, uh, I think Starman is probably one of those characters that had some of the best art uh, in the Golden Age. Uh, obviously, something like uh, the Golden Age Hawkman with uh, uh, Sheldon Waldorf was uh, was uh, was great, but uh, Starman here had three uh, uh, three artists that were all different, but all brought something uh, great to the table in their uh, in the depictions of the character. All right, uh, due to the nature of things with. Uh, my post-COVID existence. Uh, I'm not really sure what the next episode is uh, or even when it's going to be. I will do my best to announce it on Twitter once I know what's happening. Uh, 
but I do hope that we will meet again soon. Uh.